You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hey, Live Different Podcast listeners, are you between the ages of 21 and 35, want to go and explore the world, but maybe you need to make some new friends because your old friends are a little bit boring these days? Come and check out under30experiences.com. We have some really amazing local experiences. We're not talking about uh, luxury resort vacations where you just sit and drink margaritas until you pass out and get some burn and eat all you can eat meals and do it all over again the next day. This is not that type of vacation. These are adventure trips to places like Bali, Indonesia, the rainforest of Costa Rica, Iceland, the countryside of Ireland, all over the world. And we bring together a bunch of awesome people, not only to have a great time on the trip, of course, but to also bring back a little bit of what they learned to the community, uh, to their local cities. And we get together in about 25 different cities all over the United States and Canada. So if this sounds interesting to you, head on over to under30experiences.com and check it out. We'd love to have you on a trip sometime. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I am your host, Matt Wilson, and today I am here with Alistair Humphreys. He is the author of nine books, a motivational speaker, and an adventurer. And uh, I got to say, Alistair, I call myself an adventurer, but my uh, I would say that my uh, adventures are lame compared to yours cycling around the world, rowing across the Atlantic, and walking across India. So I got to give it up to you. I'm uh, I'm pretty excited to to hear about some of your your extreme adventures, and uh, you were also National Geographic's Adventure of the Year for your concept of micro adventures, which I'm excited to talk about also. So let's try to get some people up out of their uh, up out of their seats and going into the the outdoors and doing some things for once. What do you say? Cool. It sounds good. But I don't think you should go comparing one person's adventures against another that's a that's a mugs game because we can we can all lose at that if we compare to someone else so um adventures are adventures whoever's doing them really you know i i like that and we were we were talking just before we were we were talking about uh you at well you asked me if i'm a surfer and uh, of course i'm a i'm a surfer I, i live in costa rica at the beach i surf a couple times a week most uh most weeks when i can but for some reason, I couldn't sit there and say, you know, it was almost like I felt like I had to be the best surfer in the world to be like, yeah, I'm a surfer. Of course I'm a, of course I'm a surfer. Uh, but it was an interesting kind of thing that, uh, that you brought up about kind of unless you really are doing it, feeling like a fraud. And you touched on this on your, on your book. I'm curious to know your, your thoughts on that because we started off the podcast like that already, comparing each other's adventures. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I, um, I got to this weird point a few years ago whereby I realized that people, people who don't know me, like people who don't know me properly, just people who know me through my book or my website or things, they they look at me as though I'm one sort of person, whereas I know myself and my real friends know me as a very, very different person. And and I started to realize that people were seeing me as an adventurer, whereas I feel like a very normal guy. And 
And there's this weird perception that adventures are what adventurers do, not for normal people. And re that realization was one of the main things that set me off towards starting to do micro adventures to try and make people realize that adventure is a bit more accessible for anyone who chooses to to give it a go. So yeah, I'm, I'm always very. Um, I'm, so now I'm, my radar is quite highly tuned to people uh, claiming that they're not something when they probably are, like you and your surfing. Next person you meet, you need to say hi. My name's Matt, and I'm a surfer. You know what? I think you're you're absolutely right. <laughs> and you know, I think a, the maybe even a bigger problem is that uh, kind of I don't know if nominalizing is the word, but putting yourself in a box, as you kind of said, people think of you as an adventurer, but there's so much more to a person. It's like when you're at the cocktail party and someone says, uh, "What do you do?" Well, I do it ton of different things. Yes, you're probably referring to how do I afford uh, to pay my bills. That's probably what, what the person at the cocktail party is referring to. But you really have to get to know a person if you want to know what they quote unquote do or am I a surfer? Yes, that's one of the things that, uh, that I do. But it's really about your, your self-identity, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. And when I, interesting, you introduced me as a motivational speaker. And I hate that scent phrase with all my heart. It sounds so cheesy. And yet it's what I, it's what I have boldly on my website because uh, it helps with Google SEO. And, and that notion is what pays my bills, essentially, is the speaking side of my life. But when I meet people, I would never in my life say, hi, I'm Alistair and I'm a motivational speaker. Um, so when I meet people, I say that I'm a, an author or a writer even though my books barely pay, barely keep me in coffee. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And Alistair, actually, I was reading your website, and I, said, I, I looked, and I said, oh, well, but this is great branding, motivational speaker. Your, your website is beautiful, by the way. But I said, I better say this in the bio section, which I, I rarely even, I, I've decided that I need to, uh, to read people's bios a little bit more because usually I just want to get on and, uh, as you would say in, in the UK, have a chat. You know, I, I just want to chat with people. I just want to get to know you and, you know, not have some big fancy bio. But if you're trying to add credibility to a person and why we should listen to a guy named Alistair, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the motivational speaker and some I actually had a conscious thought oh he's a motivational speaker I should say that because it makes the podcast sound really good so you know sure. I completely I completely hear you on that sentiment <laughs> yeah that's uh that's pretty cool also Alistair okay let's you know I I would like to I want to hear of course your story I want to hear uh, about why you consider yourself, yourself a writer above all else. Uh, but really, while we're on the topic of uh, just identity and how it doesn't matter what you do every, every day as long as you're getting out and having fun, at least that's my, my take on it, and that's why I proudly wear the badge of adventurer. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the concept of micro-adventures? Yeah, micro-adventures came about, I've, I've touched on it already, but they came about because I'd been doing big adventures for a while and I realised that they'd added huge value to my life and to my 
sense of identity and my self-confidence and self-esteem, and they seemed, therefore, to be very good things in my life. And I also realised that most people don't have the time to go and cycle around the world for four years, or perhaps the inclination to do so. And and yet I also realised that you don't need to go all the way around the world to have an adventure. You can have adventures pretty much wherever you want, in whatever time you have available with whatever amount of money and expertise you happen to have and then mostly it's about your attitude uh, with which you just seek out adventure and try and live with an open mind and curiosity and a willingness to do new and difficult stuff and all of that seemed then to match up to to the possibility of being able to do an adventure in any amount of time and so I started doing what I call micro adventures I use the words that means very 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 small adventures just to show that they're not any worse than a big adventure um it's kind of like an espresso versus a giant americano I think it's a Uh, you get a shot of adventure in a short amount of time. And if you don't have the time or the money to go climb Mount Everest, then surely it's better to go climb your local hill and sleep on a hill for the night than it is just to to moan and do nothing at all. No, I I absolutely love that concept. And uh, we were were talking a little bit before we started recording. Uh, You were asking where I was and that you had never been to New York. And I was saying, well, actually, I live in... In Costa Rica, one of the reasons that I love Costa Rica so much is that there are so many things accessible. I live in one of the adventure capitals of the country, but there are so many things I can work until 3, 4 p.m., get up early, work until 3 or 4 p.m., and then I can go and have a little adventure every single day, have my own micro-adventure, whether it's going surfing or whether it's going on a hike or whether it's going somewhere and exploring uh, somewhere I've never been before or if it's the weekend or I have more flexibility in my schedule, okay, I can go whitewater rafting, I can go on a canopy tour, uh, I can go stand up paddle boarding, I can go watch dolphins and monkeys and and all of this stuff that's that's accessible of course i've put myself in this this magical part of the world but yeah this these are the things that i was doing as a kid okay maybe not monkeys and and dolphins right but uh they might have been squirrels and and chipmunks in my backyard in upstate new york but it was adventure nonetheless yeah and i think i think the the point or the challenge i suppose for anyone listening to this who thinks oh man that's so unfair i can't go surfing and go to the jungle because i live in some random town in the middle of iowa the challenge then is to look at things in a positive and say right what what is around where i am i don't i don't think any of us live more than one hour away from some sort of countryside somewhere where you're away from buildings somewhere where you've never been before and therefore are being an explorer and just seeking out pockets of wilderness in whatever short periods of time is available that's that's the the real challenge of micro adventures is trying to see everything as an opportunity rather than a constraint now i i think that's amazing alistair i'm curious where you live when you are not uh going to the north or south pole or or doing all this other crazy stuff that you like to do I live just outside London in England, which is about the least mountainous, least wild, least river-filled part of the world I can imagine. So it's a pretty good case study for micro-adventures.
Yeah, absolutely. What are, what are some things I'm curious uh, about your kind of day-to-day or, or when you want to be a, a weekend warrior when you're not writing? Uh, I'm curious what you get out and do. What are your own micro-adventures? Um, I like, uh, I like, I guess the two main things I like to do. One is I like to get out, get out on a bike, whether it's on a mountain bike, um, or a road bike. Um, and ideally go camp somewhere I've never been before for the night. Um, and the other thing I like to do is do something that's incredibly minimalist. So to just turn off my computer after a day of work, pack the smallest little bag I can with just a, a bivy bag and enough food for the one night and just go somewhere I've never been sleep out under the stars in the woods or on a hill and then come home have a shower and back at my desk for nine o'clock the next morning it's a pretty good pretty good refresher in the middle of writing a book yeah that that sounds amazing Uh, Alistair I think there are people listening right now who might not quite have the affinity for the outdoors that you and I have or might not have ever you know my parents took me to the outdoors. My parents are from the country, uh, and they always were bringing me hiking, et cetera. But a lot of people's parents, you know, didn't take them hiking. We have a, a lot of uh, people on our uh, trips that we run through our, our travel company, Under 30 Experiences, is that it's their, their first time in the outdoors or their first time going, going hiking. And, you know, we have people who have climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, on the same trail with them, and it's uh, it's really an amazing thing. But could could you tell me a little bit more what what being in the outdoors does for you and how you're able to reset? Um, I like it because my, the normal world, normal sort of world I live in when I'm at home is pretty busy. Um, meetings, endless pesky journalists bothering me to do podcasts. Um, social media stuff, my phone ringing, emails ringing. And, you know, I like that. I like the busyness. I like the buzz of it. I like it all. Uh, And it's just rush, 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 rush. And what I like then about going out to the wild, even the small pretend wild you get near London, if you just find a, if you find a hundred meters worth of trees and you haven't brought your phone with you, then you might as well be in the Amazon jungle for the night. And you just, it's amazing for me to realize when I go into the woods without my phone, just how much my brain is whirring and how wired I am really. And that it takes me a while just to slow down and to listen to the birds and watch the sunset for a little bit. And this all sounds a bit hippie-ish, but it's, I, I realize that I just rush so much in my life. So the wild is somewhere where it just forces me to slow down and disconnect from the internet for 12 hours um that's so that that's one element of it um i like the the simplicity of it the fact that you can survive for a night with very few possessions and very simple food and you can just simplify things for a little bit and i also like that it's fun you know when i was a kid i used to enjoy climbing trees and running up hills and throwing stones in rivers and the thing is I still do love all that and since I've started doing micro adventures I've realized that it's okay to be childlike you know a lot of people say things like when I was a kid I used to sleep in the back garden and it was brilliant and I say to them I still do love that you should go sleep in your back garden this weekend it's still a good thing to do as an adult it's a refreshing exciting liberating thing to do 
Uh, that's that's amazing, Alistair. I, I I love that sentiment. I could just picture you in your in the back garden in a, a tent. I've actually had the urge uh, myself, uh, which is is something I, I have. Of course, enough adventures, uh, or I feel I feel like I have enough anyway. But just seriously, like you said, on a random Tuesday, saying okay, it's it's three, four, five, six p.m. Whatever grab my tent and my sleeping bag and pack a box dinner and just go and, and sleep somewhere else. And uh, they say so much of the, the – there's been so much science studied behind uh, turning off your phone and getting back into wilderness and how it resets your, your sleep patterns, your circadian rhythm, and uh, how you're actually connected with the earth, which our bodies were designed to be connected to. And yeah, like you said, it sounds a little bit hippie when I say your, your connection to the, to the earth, but uh, I, I really believe that we're, kind of, we're living in this factory, far, this factory farm society where, yeah, it's just designed to, to get production out of us and, and nothing more. And, uh, but we all have the right still to be able to, to fight against that, to be able to say, okay, I'm not going to fall into the trap of society. And it doesn't matter what these people are doing on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever occupies our, our time. I want to go out and, and think for myself, and uh, yeah, the, the wilderness has absolutely given me a chance to, uh, to, yeah, to just think, think for myself a little bit, I'd say. I think a really nice thing to do, and this is particularly applies to, to anyone who's listening to this who just thinks, man, I've never done this in my life, I don't own a rucksack, all that at all, um, but it applies to anyone, is just to sleep in the garden. If you're, if you, unless you live in the big city in, in a flat, but if you live in a house with even the tiniest garden, if you've got access to a scrap of sky, to just one, one summer evening, when you've finished your dinner, whatever you do in the evening, brush your teeth, instead of getting into bed, just go take your sleeping bag or your duvet and your pillow out into the garden, lie down on the lawn. You might feel like a bit of an idiot. You can take a beer with you or a cup of tea. Um, you might feel like a bit of an idiot, but it's amazing to lie there, see the stars, hear the birds and wake up when the sun wakes you up in the morning, um, listening to the bird song. That, that's actually, in many ways, quite a wilderness experience, and it can be 10 feet from your front door, which also means that if it starts raining, you can just go inside. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Um, Alistair, I'm curious if you have any uh, tips for people to manage their day-to-day their -day life okay, even if they're just taking the very first step. And I know dra uh, dragging your, your blanket and your pillow out to the backyard is, it's really not very difficult, but a lot of people are still going to have resistance. Uh, is there any, do you have anything, just uh, maybe your own personal tips or, or habits that you do as far as turning your phone off for an hour a day or trying to read a book after 10 p.m. instead of having the flashing lights of your computer screen and your television in your, in your face? Or is there anything like that that you might be able to pass along to the audience? Yeah, well, the, these, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for these sort of websites, the uh, 10 things to make your life better and 10 ways to become super fit without actually having to bother doing any push-ups. I'm a sucker for all of that sort of stuff. Um, but I think it's often, um, it, in many ways, it's just that those things I think are just a bit of a, a screen or a mask or some sort of 
I think with something like the going to sleep in the backyard for a night, let's take that as an example. If people say, oh, I can't do that because of X, Y, and Z, and they list the reasons. I think what's a really, probably the most helpful thing that I try and do is whenever I think I can't do something or I don't have the time or I don't have the money is I replace the word can't with choose not to and to just say that out loud. So if, for example, I could say, oh, I, I, I can't go to the gym because I'm too busy. And you say, I choose not to go to the gym. Um, and it just helps you realize where your priorities really lay and makes you realize that if something's important to you, you do make it happen. Um, so I think that's a really helpful thing that I do that helps me just learn a bit more of the truth about myself, which isn't always, an unco- isn't always a pleasant thing to realize because I'm, I'm lazy and procrastinate just as much as everyone else does. I, I think that's really cool because you're getting to the root of the problem there. Well, the choice, the choice. Exactly, exactly. And you are being honest with yourself. And sure, turning your phone on airplane mode, that's a great tactic. But if you really want to dig into the strategy of, okay, what's, what's my problem here? What's, what's my deal? Why am I saying that I can't? Uh, and changing your language, and that's something that I'm really a, a, a stickler for, is making sure that my language is in alignment with what I really want and what I really need. Uh, because once I start to reframe things, instead of framing it negatively or saying that I can't, well, you say you can't enough times, and then you really do start to believe it. I mean, scientifically, your your brain just starts to wire yourself like that. So I think that's fantastic advice, Alistair. I saw it. And then if you want something properly just easy inspiration from the internet, which, which will solve all our problems, I saw a wonderful video yesterday online of a boy in Russia who's born with no fingers who can play a mean tune on the piano. So the... Um, he had plenty of reason to say, I can't play the piano, but he chose not to be limited. Wow, that is, uh, yeah, that's, that will certainly put yourself, or certainly put things in perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Damn, that is, uh, that is pretty cool. So, so, Alistair, I wanted to really just ask you how you got started in doing these crazy things. I mean, you've been to, I, I know you have, uh, cycled around the world and rode across the Atlantic and walked across India. And if anybody wants to go to Alistair's website, I, I certainly encourage you to because you can see the long list of crazy stuff that, that Alistair has done. Uh, but you also wrote a book uh, that recently came out about your grand adventures. And uh, I was wondering how you got your start in in challenging yourself and doing these type of things and uh, and really just wanted to hear a little bit more of why. I My first big adventure was when I decided to go cycle around the world and that came from, you know, I, I didn't really have, my family's not particularly adventurous. I didn't have some upbringing as a, tough guy or any sort of athlete or or cyclist a pretty normal upbringing really and so but I, I decided this is what I want to do I made the choice and I made the choices necessary to make it happen um, and I did it because I for various reasons I wanted to I wanted to see the world I wanted to do something difficult I wanted to see if I could write a book 
and and also I didn't on the other the other way of looking at it is I didn't know what normal route in life to take. I didn't feel some vocation to become an engineer or a or a doctor or something. So and I was worried about just getting some job I hated just because that's what convention suggested I should do. So I saved up, lived cheap. I spent about ten thousand dollars in four years on the road, which is cheaper than staying at home would have been. And um, and when I came home from that trip, I was pretty hooked. I, it made me realise. When I started cycling around the world, I definitely didn't think I was actually going to achieve it. I didn't think I was going to finish. So when I got to the end and I had made it all the way around, that gave me a big boost of confidence. And it was a bit like Pandora's box opening, this thinking of, wow, I did that. I didn't think I could. What else can I do? And that's when, when you start thinking like that, I think that's when things become quite exciting. That, uh, that certainly would give you some confidence to say, yeah, I cycled around the world. What's next? And uh, we talk a lot about going on on the grand ad- adventure on our podcast or having an epic quest or becoming a, a hero. And that's the underlying theme of, of uh, a lot of what we talk about and, and living differently. Uh, and I, I was wondering if you had any advice uh, for the listener who is sitting there thinking, okay, I would love to cycle around the world or I would love to just go and go on a five-day trip to Costa Rica, right? But how do I justify this? Because it's not in society's plan for me. I have to go and tell the powers that be, whether it's my parents or my significant other or, uh, you know, my boss, that this is what I want to do for a week or a month or a year or or three or four years, however long you, you took your time cycling around the world, um, I was wondering how you justify that to other people. Well, I think I think first of all you need to you need to justify it to yourself and to to, to make your make yourself decide whether or not this is really important to you, um, and or whether it's just a bit of a whim, like buying a new pair of jeans might be, um, and whether you think that it's actually useful and beneficial for your life or if it's just a bit of self-indulgent escapism and 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 if you start to think that this is meaningful and important and beneficial in your life then I think you're a long way down the line to starting to be a bit more confident because you're going to come up against a lot of people who say oh no you shouldn't do that that's what not what people like us don't do that sort of thing and or what's the point in doing that it's too difficult it's too expensive you'll probably fail um if if the idea you have is exciting you'll come up against a lot of people saying stuff like that who are often just pouring out their own fears and insecurities and envies on you anyway um i think it's also important to figure out whose opinion really matters to you um we spend a lot of time, too much time, and I'm really guilty of this, worrying about what other people will think about us, whereas the what we should do is just think about the people who matter the most and who, for, so I suppose in this instance, that's our close friends, our family, and our, our work colleagues, perhaps. Um, and, you know, if they if you can explain to them why it feels important and meaningful to you, then I would imagine more often than not you'll start to get some encouragement back from them. But you'll never know unless you have that conversation. And what you definitely don't want to do is just dismiss it out of hand because you think it won't work. And so to say to yourself, oh, no, there's no point in me speaking to my boss about 
taking a month's unpaid leave because he'll just say no. You never know unless you actually go have that conversation. So I think that's an important start. No, I, I think that's fantastic. And when you talk about uh, you talk about confidence, right? Okay, maybe uh, most people are not ready to cycle around the world. I, I sure as hell am, am not, and I you know wear the badge of adventurer, right? But if you start out on those micro adventures and you say yes, this is something that I need to do. I need to I need to tell my girlfriend. I need to tell my boyfriend right now that you know what I'm sleeping in the garden tonight that is going to start to give you some confidence and that type of confidence that thrill that's addictive and that it's a building block and i think that's what you're after with the concept of of micro adventures and and you can work your way up uh, it, w- wouldn't you agree alistair yeah totally momentum is key inertia and not beginning are, is so difficult but once you get some momentum once you've slept in the garden once it's pretty easy to go camping next weekend. And then it's pretty easy to go for a week's hike. And once you've done a week's hike, you know exactly all the gear you need to go for a month's hike. And once you've been for a month, then you are totally ready to go walk around the world. I, uh, I, I like it. This is, this is excellent. And, and then it comes, of course, down to the pesky uh, question of how do I afford it? And in your book, you talked about your adventure fund, and you also said something that I, I really enjoyed. It was something to the effect of four years of eating banana sandwiches was a small price to pay uh, for for being able to acquire so many memories. Uh, so could you talk a little bit about how many people might need to work their way up to that grand adventure? Yeah, so money is obviously a complicated subject. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to generalize enormously. But if you're, if you're, I think the important thing is not to just clock out of what I'm going to say and, and instead try and work out how it might apply to you. Because there are billions of people in the world who literally will never be able to go even for a, a two-week bicycle trip because they will never be able to afford that. Um, I suspect the majority, I, I suspect actually everyone who's listening to this podcast because of where we are in the world is going to be able to save up some amount of spare money. And the amount that, we're, the amount that you can save every week doesn't really matter. So that, but the principle that I've been working on for this book, Grand Adventures, was based on, the, based on this simple sum, which is if you save up £20 a week or $20 or €20, Euros, then in one year you'll have a thousand pounds, dollars, euros, and the thing, the thing that excited that me about that was that I can afford twenty pounds a week. That's an amount that I can I can spare, so I can I can put that away, and after a year it's magically turned into a thousand pounds, which in my mind is a lot of money, and I know is more than enough to go and do some massive adventure. So similar to the micro adventure thing, this is the notion of putting aside small little bits which accumulate into something quite big. If you can't afford £20 or dollars a week, then save 10 or 5 or 2 It doesn't really matter. By the end of the year, you will have a chunk of money that you'll be able to go and do something with. And I think, I think that's the approach to, to, that's the best for tackling it, rather than just freaking out because adventures cost a lot of money and you don't have it. I think starting to save up a little bit is, is useful. And I think it's also important to look at adventures and to think about whether in your mind they are an extravagant product project like 
buying some designer tra trainers or whether they are a useful product like signing up for a night school college class might be and, and they're potentially beneficial for your life, potentially beneficial for your career, make you have a more interesting resume, those sort of things. And if you feel it's a worthwhile thing, then it's probably worth investing a bit more heavily in it. Is that is that helpful? Yeah, that's that's extremely helpful. I think. I think the key the key thing. If anyone's listening to this now, shouting, it's all right for you. You you can afford it. I can't afford it. The the key thing I think with money is is to is to not do that. Not be shouting at me, but instead to think, okay, I want. I really really want to do an adventure. How much can I afford to put aside a week and to start doing it? So working up like that. And if you if you work work at it from the bottom, then suddenly numbers like say a thousand might seem less extravagant and become more possible. Absolutely. No, that, that makes a lot of sense, Alistair. And uh, before we talked a little bit about, okay, how you justify this to, to other people and how you work, can work your way up and go and sleep in the garden and save X amount of dollars per week so that you can have your, your grand adventure. Um, but in your book, you also say that adventures are selfish. And absolutely, and, and what you just said before is that it needs to have some type of positive effect on your life. Uh, but can you talk a little bit more about how you can get around that one, that when people say adventures are selfish, or maybe you could speak from experience on what the confidence that doing something like cycling around the world has, has brought you? Um, cycling around the world on its own is an inherently pointless thing to do it doesn't really add any value to the to the universe um i'm i'm completely aware with that aware of that and i was comfortable enough with that decision to do so you can probably argue that many jobs fall into the same category for example owning a shoe shop or something is pretty pointless in the grand scheme of the universe it's, it's useful for the person who's doing it but not you're not exactly being a nun or a primary school teacher or something so so i accepted that i accepted that side of things um i tried to make it less pointless by um supporting a charity for the ride so giving talks raising awareness and raising money for the charity and i did that in order to make the trip less selfish that was the the reason i decided to do that and i'm, I'm very glad i did go down that that route um i've had nice emails from people in the years since the trip saying that the books i've written about it have encouraged them to go do adventures of their own and that starts to feel really good because then it does start to feel less pointless and less selfish um on a personal level, it's a big adventure is the best thing I've ever done, really, for making me... I'm, by nature, I'm quite a shy, lazy, pessimistic... Um, Motivational slight. speaker. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but I didn't really want to be that sort of person. And adventure, especially the bike trip, forced me to be on my own, to engage with people more, to take decisions and stand or fall by their consequences. And if I succeeded, that was down to me. If I failed, that was down to me. There are no barriers. There are no excuses. You learn a lot about yourself. And all of those things have been enormously helpful for me in my, in my life. They've made me more self-confident, more 
articulate, more positive. I think if I tried to apply for a, a normal job now, the fact that I had on my resume having done something big that required planning and perseverance and um, some emotional courage at times, I think that would help me get a normal job. So in that sense, I see those the $10,000 I spent in four years as a, as a wonderful investment for my life. That, uh, yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Alistair, I wanted to ask you, what was more difficult? Uh, one of your adventures, like rowing across the Atlantic or writing nine books? <laughs> I find writing books to be an incredibly torturous process. I really struggle to sit down in front of a computer for long enough. Um, I, I, fight the demons of procrastination of Twitter and all these other distractions and self-loathing thinking this is the worst book everyone's ever written this is a total waste of time um, so I, yeah, I find the writing process painful what I, what I enjoy is once I've written a hundred thousand words I love then the editing and polishing process of trying to turn all those words the rough first draft into something decent that part of book writing I really like but sitting down and writing the first draft is is agony oh, okay that's interesting see I can uh, and of course I shouldn't even well okay I won't do the the comparing myself to, to <laughs> other people thing right because I have a couple I have a couple books in the works that I've never finished, but that's the, for me, that's the easy part, right, is getting the first draft up, is writing half a book. Half a book, yeah, sure, no problem, I think it's genius, but the editing and getting it done and seeing it to completion, that's the hard part for me. Uh, we should team up. Yeah, seriously, seriously, and uh, and I want to go on uh, my own grand adventure when uh, when time allows or when I have less uh, limiting beliefs about my current situation in life, I would say, I, I say that tongue in cheek, of course, because I'm having a, you know, I'm having a lot of fun and, and doing a lot of things that I, I feel are meaningful, but yeah, taking off uh, however long it takes to, to do some of the things that, that you were doing um, are, are pretty cool. You, you recently went to, uh, to Greenland, a place that I never went. Uh, I've never been. I've been to Iceland many times, um, and I saw that you were there, uh, I assume, training, and I started to watch your, your Greenland video. Uh, how, was your, how was your trip up there? What's Greenland like? Oh, Greenland is one of those places when I'm writing a book that I, I dream of being, somewhere where you are hundreds of miles from the nearest human and the only possessions you have in the world are the ones that you are pulling behind you. And because it's heavy and hard to pull them behind you, they are as minimal as is possible to, to, to keep you alive. And it's just an incredibly simple existence of physical, physical endeavor, um, struggling with the environment, struggling with the demons in your head that makes you wish you were back at home watching TV and eating ice cream rather than slogging your guts out. And then the wonderful feeling of putting up the tent in the evening, chatting with your two colleagues, your friends, eating food which normally would be disgusting but just tastes absolutely divine and then falling into a deep and well-earned sleep. Um, and all that in, in a wilderness that's one of the most beautiful, pristine places I've, I've ever been. Yeah, I'd like to go back to Greenland again. 
Man, that sounds amazing. I, I might have even mentioned this on the podcast before, but I have an Icelandic mountain guide friend who went to Greenland, and he says, what? he says, man, I cannot stop thinking about Greenland. He said, and this is a guy who I've been in the center of Iceland with, with absolutely nothing around, like that feeling where there's not anybody for 100 miles. I mean, that's... That, that this actually the scene some of the scenes out of your uh, Greenland video on the website and I encourage everyone to to check it out I mean it's just so beautiful that's what uh, this section of the center of Iceland looked like and uh, and I've been with this guy to that place this re- super remote part of the world and he said yeah I just can't stop thinking about Greenland it was <laughs> it was amazing so yeah I'd like to uh, I'd like to make it over well, that I- way. Yeah, absolutely. Iceland, though, is one of my very favourite countries. I've, and actually, I've made a film on my website about I crossed Iceland as well, and the centre of Iceland. Wow, that's something special, isn't it? That uh, yeah, that is, that is amazing. Um, you don't know the guys. There were some guys working on a uh, video or a uh, documentary called Crossing Iceland, and they were going to do it, I believe, on kiteboards. Have you heard of these guys? No, I haven't. Huh, I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to look them up. Um, I believe it was a, a, a French kiteboard team who was doing it, and the same group of, of mountain guides that I know up there were uh, were helping them out. Wow, that's, yeah, it's a lot. Of, it's a good adventure playground, is Iceland. Yeah, that's that's for sure. That is uh, that is for for sure. Alistair, you said a couple times uh, you've mentioned about the demons of procrastination. Have you read Stephen uh, Pressfield's? book on uh on procrastination and and um and just his do process of writing do, do the, the work yes and the war of art yes they're, they're both on my desk ah that is uh i i heard that language and i said that sounds a lot like I, i've just read both of them recently and they're the type of books that you could read over and over again which are uh it, very motivational Another book in that genre that I've enjoyed really recently by Derek Sivers called Anything You Want. That's, I'd recommend that one. Ah, okay. I've uh, I've listened to a bunch of podcasts or a handful of podcasts with Derek Sivers lately, uh, but I, I haven't read any of his books. That's uh, yeah. W- tell me the name of of that book again. Anything you want. Anything you want. Okay. I. I like it. Uh, I, just, I always like podcasts yeah. recommend a book to read, so there's my, there's my suggestion. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> um, Alistair, I'm, I'm curious, what is, what is next for you with a, with a resume like yourself? What's your next grand adventure? What's your next book? I'm, I'm curious as to what you see for yourself in the, in the future. Yeah. Um, my next, my next project. I've got to get back to the back to the computer and the writing. Is uh, writing a couple more kids' books. Um, I've written. I wrote a, a trilogy, three books called "The Boy Who Biked the World." About it's about my story cycling around the world, but imaginary through the imaginary eyes of a young boy who miraculously gets permission from his mum and dad to cycle around the world on his own. And uh, it's been. It's been so rewarding to start getting loads of emails from kids who said, wow, I've read this book and now I want to go do adventures. So I've become, I've really, really enjoyed that process. So I've got, I'm, uh, I'm going to launch into a couple more kids' books, my next project. Now that, that sounds so important, uh, especially because, I don't know, my love for adventure 
came from when I was a kid, came from when I had an imagination that was larger than it is today. And when I knew no boundaries other than what my parents told me, which was not very much, you know, they didn't tell me I couldn't do very many things, uh, which is which is what I contribute probably to, to a large part of, I would say, my happiness today is not being told no a whole lot. Um, but Man, I mean, that's, yeah, you read a, a book like that as a kid, I, I feel like the, uh, the adults should go back and, and read the kids' books, or I, or I guess that your books, I mean, I, I just read your, your Grand Adventure, and uh, I feel like it was a kids' book, but for adults. I mean, you're telling people to, to drag their duvet covers into the backyard <laughs> and <laughs> curl up with their pillow, and a beer, you said, though, that, that could be helpful in this situation. Yeah. It's about being childlike, but not childish. And there's a nice difference between those two words. It's an inter- here's an interesting thing. I do quite a lot of talks. Um, when I go to a primary school sorry, or an elementary school, and I talk to the little children about cycling around the world, and I, at the end I might say something like, so who here wants to go cycle around the world? Every kid puts their hand up. Yeah, me, I can do it. I want to cycle thousands of miles. I can do that. I go to, go to some event. I talk to adults. I do essentially the same talk to adults as to little kids and you know if I'd said at the end who wants to go and do that then everyone starts saying oh I'm not sure I've got to save up for my pension and oh I'm not really a cyclist I'm not very good at that and it's just amazing the positivity of children and the negativity of of adults and that's why I, I try and encourage people to be more childlike to go climb more trees and swim in more rivers. Alistair that sounds amazing uh, if we could end this off on just some advice for people who want to be uh, more like they once imagined themselves as a child, what would it be like? Well, I think three fantastic, four fantastic things to do. One is don't care what anyone else thinks about you as you do these next three things. And they are to climb a tree swim in a river and sleep on a hill for a night without a tent underneath the stars. And I think all of those things are pretty good for uh, refreshing the soul. That, uh, that sounds like excellent, straightforward, and, and very simple advice. I, uh... but, but almost, almost no one listening will do it. And there's two reasons for that. Either they think it's a bad idea, which is fair enough, um, there are lots of other good ideas in the world, but and I, I don't mind that at all. But what what does sadden me is if people listen, think, "Oh, that's a good idea," and then don't do it. That uh, that is that is sad indeed. We want more happy people out there, and uh, Alistair, you're you're contributing to that. So that is that is excellent. If uh, someone, including myself, wants to stay abreast of your adventures, your writing, where can they find you online? Um, my website, well, if you Google me, Alistair Humphreys, you'll find me. Uh, my website's alistairhumphreys.com, and I, I do a, have a monthly-ish email newsletter on there. I'm also on social media far more than I ought to be, and I put my videos on YouTube and Vimeo as well. Beautiful. Well, that... Uh... That sounds good, Alistair. We'll look you up. I really enjoyed uh, your book. Uh, You have one called, can correct me if I'm wrong, but just micro adventures and the other one about your, about grand adventures. So, and links to all that can be found on your website. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah, you got it, Alistair. I'm going to be in uh, in Europe this summer, so I'll uh, I'll look you up if you're around. Let's go have at least a micro-adventure. Yeah, if you come to London, I'll buy you a warm English beer. <laughs> Sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, Alistair. Well, I, I really appreciate your time today. Cool. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you got it. Hey, did you like today's episode? If you did, log on to iTunes and leave us a review. It would really help us out. We try to put out good, free content all of the time. Check out the show notes on under30co.com. Send the podcast to a friend who could use some of the advice. And of course, if you want to travel with us, check out under30experiences.com and 50% off Athletic Greens on the show notes. Thanks for listening.